Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. So consider at least the first part of this episode, if not the entire episode, a public service announcement for those who get all excited when they hear their team is either looking to land a superstar player or they've actually done it. Because... I'm watching what's going on in Milwaukee and in Phoenix and what's been going on in L.A. with the Clippers and what happened in Brooklyn and in Houston. And I'm wondering if fans see or recognize what I'm seeing and recognizing, which is no team has ever come close to winning a championship built by a GM forced into moves, either by the team's star or its owner. Now, I've always known that, having spent several decades talking to the people who have built championship teams and knowing what they value and how they operate and how it's important to have someone who is not directly invested, who is not taking a personal approach to the situation, but is looking at the big picture. That's what a GM does. They shouldn't have any sort of skin in the game as far as a particular player or move that they need to make. It should be all about how do I build a championship team. So, I can tell you, this this, I can assure you, no championship team has ever been built because a superstar demanded that management get a certain other superstar and threatened to leave if it didn't happen. It's actually gone the other way. More championship teams have been built when a team didn't succumb to the whims or desires of the superstar and did what they considered best. The first two examples that come to mind, Michael Jordan never wanted Charles Oakley traded for Bill Cartwright. And Tim Duncan did not want to see Malik Rose traded for 
whoever they traded him for. Teams that work independently, who listen to their superstars, who run things by their superstars, but aren't necessarily dictated to by their superstars. Those are the teams that have had sustained success. And yes, I'm including both the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers and the 2020 Los Angeles Lakers among those teams that made moves or were forced into making moves for, for players, stars, and that that's not the reason that they won. I'm, now, I need Lakers and LeBron James fans to listen very closely to what I'm about to say so you understand that I'm not suggesting that the Lakers bubble championship doesn't qualify as an actual championship or that I'm suggesting that the 2016 ring in Cleveland was tainted by Draymond Green's suspension or the Warriors losing Andrew Bogut or the fact that Stephon Curry was playing with a sprained knee. What I'm saying is that the Lakers didn't win the 2020 title because LeBron and the Clutch Agency strong-armed the Lakers into trading for Anthony Davis. They won it because they traded for Davis and there was a three-month pause in the season that then resumed in a central location without fans, arguably the most unique setting for an NBA postseason ever, and the Lakers did the best job of dealing with those unusual circumstances. My point being that there's no way to pinpoint acquiring AD as the reason for that ring. There are always extenuating circumstances in any championship run. And because they are generally the same variables, health, matchups, contractual status, we take them as part of the equation. We don't make exceptions. We don't say, this. well, this team would have won if not for injury or a different matchup or so-and-so was or wasn't playing for a contract. It happens. It's part of it. So we just accept that, that, that you have to have those things working for you rather than against you to win a championship. The variable that was the bubble is hopefully a one-time thing, but it's a big variable. Too big to think that, well, Acquiring AD is the undisputed reason Lakers won the, 21, uh, the 2020 title. That the pandemic and all that came with it wasn't an element. That if that hadn't happened, simply getting AD, the Lakers would have won. Just can't go that far. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm, I have, I'm skeptical. But fact is, you can't look at it that way. You can't assign that to getting AD. As for the 2016 Cavs, LeBron strong-arming the Cavs to trade Andrew Wiggins for Kevin Love didn't turn that team into a championship-caliber team. Far from it. They were barely above 500 with the fifth-best record in the East when GM David Griffin made several additional trades to land Iman Shumpert, J.R. Smith, and Timofey Mozgov. And those were not moves that LeBron demanded that's when they took off though and wound up as the number two seed in the east and all three of those players were instrumental especially Mozgov in knocking off the Warriors a year later now I understand the entertainment value for fans and the money play part of it for owners when it comes to acquiring a star or superstar 
And I don't begrudge Bucks fans for getting excited that they can see Damian Lillard in a Bucks uniform on a nightly basis. And Damian Lillard is probably going to sell more tickets than than Drew Holiday would. So I understand why ownership would be willing to go along with it or be excited about it. And I also understand why a team like Milwaukee would do Giannis Antetokounmpo's bidding, especially after he hints that he might have to go elsewhere, as he did last summer, if the team doesn't show it's all in on chasing another championship, which we now know was code for, get me Damian Lillard. Markets like Milwaukee don't land players like Giannis unless they draft one and then develop him. His re-upping for the next few years, as he did once they (laughs) acquired Damian Lillard, assures that they are going to sell tickets and corporate suites and sponsorships and merchandise. It guarantees it. In a market where such things are not guaranteed. This ain't New York and it ain't LA. It's not even Chicago. And the fans get to watch a sensational athlete, person, player, like Giannis, for a number of years going forward. So, well, you, I can make a case where it's worth it. You just have to understand what it's worth, what it's getting you. And I'd say the same goes for the Clippers, as far as caving to Kawhi Leonard's prerequisites for signing there, which included mortgaging their future to get Paul George. We all know their history and their reputation and their status in LA as the other team, the lesser team. They, too weren't going to turn down the chance to get a player like Kawhi coming off winning his second title as finals MVP in Toronto, not with a brand new owner like Steve Ballmer. If it means trading a promising, but at the time, still unproven Shea Gilgis-Alexander and a host of first-round picks to get PG, if that's the price, any team in their position would pay it, especially an owner like Ballmer, who's determined to flip the script in L.A. and vault the Lakers as the city's premier team. It's funny, by the way, how this seems to happen with brand new owners more often than not. I believe we're watching a similar scenario unfold in Phoenix with new owner Matt Ishbia. In much the same way that Ballmer sold the proverbial farm to get Kawhi and PG, Ishbia spent all his assets to get Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal. And again, I don't have a problem with Ishbia doing it. I'm sure he's selling season tickets and corporate packages like never before. And getting to watch the artistry of KD, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal, that's sure to be entertaining for the Suns fans, night in and night out. But that's where the idea of what fans or Ishbia are certain to get from those moves should end. Because they are not yet a championship team. They don't look like a championship team. They don't yet have the requisite ingredients of a championship team. Desperation and or hastiness rarely leads to sound decisions. And I can't help but feel we can put the Clippers, Nets, Suns, and Bucks moves to land superstars as being some form of that. For the first three, the Clippers, Nets, and Suns, They were three teams simply trying to put themselves on the map with the franchise's first championship and thought they could shortcut the process by adding stars who already had a championship pedigree. Or maybe they thought, let's let's get those and we'll figure out the rest. But it didn't include the roles that those stars 
played in winning that title. Their previous titles. There's nothing wrong with going after a Kevin Durant or a Kyrie Irving or a Kawhi Leonard and valuing them because they have been part of championship teams. You just have to know that what you're getting and what you're asking them to do in your situation may be different than the one that they were in when they won that ring. And you don't know if they're capable of being part of a championship equation that's your equation as opposed to the previous one. You also have to know that getting them is only one small piece of the equation. I find it rather amusing, by the way, and I don't know why this is or where it's coming from, but the media and odds makers and others on the periphery seem to be trying to shoehorn Stephen Curry into that same role or mindset of a superstar player demanding certain things. Whenever the Warriors have faltered, the innuendo about Curry looking to go elsewhere has suddenly bubbled up. Not from him. He's made no indications of that. Made no indications of being frustrated, upset, disgruntled, looking out. None of that. And it's happening again now that he's the only one scoring with any regularity for the Warriors. There's there's actually there's odds being put out of Steph's Stephen's next team and what it would be with with the disclaimer from the odds makers. I get these emails. I have, you know, there's no chance that Stephen's going to go anywhere or be asking to be traded or anything, but but this is kind of fun. So let's just put it out there. What's what are the what's the likelihood? I, I don't I don't really understand that exercise and it's kind of a disservice to Steph uh, just to put it out there. And by the way, if you hear me referring to him as Stefan as much as I am Steph, I'm used to saying Steph. I've been told by people around him that Stefan is really kind of what he prefers. And so kind of kind of torn now in terms of how to refer to him. Steph is much easier. It's a lot more natural for me, but uh, so be it. You have new information. You try to incorporate it. That's what I'm in the midst of. So if you're wondering why I keep bouncing back and forth, that's why. All right. So about him demanding one thing or another, um, it's, it's, it's pure innuendo because he has had absolutely no part in creating that innuendo because he knows better. He knows championship cultures aren't built on holding an owner and GM hostage. ESPN did all it could to put out there that Curry chose Draymond Green over Jordan Poole as if moving Poole was his idea. They, they leapt at Bob Myers, the former GM, indicating that Curry signed off on the deal. And that became Curry chose Draymond Green over Jordan Poole. Now, I have no doubt he signed off on it. But I'm also certain it wasn't his idea, much less his demand. He didn't come to them with it and say, hey, you have to re-sign Draymond and you have to get rid of Jordan Poole. I guarantee you that did not happen. That's so far outside of who Stephen Curry is that I, just it's unimaginable. And bottom line, bottom line, the Warriors' problem is not because Jordan Poole is in a Wizards uniform. 
The Warriors' problem is they've lost their identity. They are no longer the smartest team with two of the best shooters in the game. They no longer are built around the Splash Brothers. And this goes to what I'm talking about when it comes to building a championship caliber team requiring so much more than acquiring a couple of superstars. It matters how those superstars mesh. It matters whether everyone is happy and accepting of their roles. It's ma- it matters that everyone knows their roles. The collective hunger matters. The collective IQ matters. Now, if I heard or saw fans and media people talking about those elements as much as they talk about the impact of some big name, I'd be more inclined to paying attention. But as soon as anyone hangs the fate of a team on the acquisition of one player, or conversely, blames a team's downfall on one player, I know they don't know the first thing about what is required to build a championship team. Let's just look at the Warriors' recent uh, attrition. Andre Iguodala, gone. Finals MVP. Otto Porter, gone. Dante DiVincenzo, gone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That right there is a lot of institutional knowledge, basketball IQ, versatility, and willingness to fit a role in order to make a team work. Iggy and Porter were instrumental in winning their last championship. DiFincenzo was a big part of last year's team. Dante shot damn near 40%. He's got a high IQ, as I mentioned. He's a team guy through and through and a tough, if undersized, defender. Warriors would have loved to have kept him. They just couldn't afford him. Otto Porter has many of the same qualities and was a 37% three-point shooter. Don't look at... Porter's hurt now. I don't know if he has anything left. Don't look at what DiVincenzo is doing in New York. It's what they were and what they meant to the Warriors as constituted. Now, going back to the championship year, Andrew Wiggins was playing for a new contract and to rehab his image. Shot damn near 39% from three and was arguably one of their top two defenders. Clay Thompson was looking to prove that he could return to some semblance of his form prior to his two massive injuries and two-year layoff, which he did. It is human nature, however, to take a breath after we climb a mountain or to stop and enjoy the view. It is far more unusual, out of character, for someone to immediately turn their attention to climbing the next mountain that is appreciably steeper, if not higher. And while taking a beat may work in the real world without consequences, it does not in professional sports. There are always people coming for you. The competition is always getting more fierce. Sure, champions take some time off after winning, no doubt. 
They celebrate, but they do so in a calculated way. Their minds are already set on what kind of rest and recuperation they need and how it's built into prepping for the next season and not just being ready for the next season, but knowing that they somehow have to be better because they know that as champions, they are now going to get everyone's best shot. They're not sneaking up on anybody. They're not having, they're not catching anybody on an off night. A tougher shot, they're going to take a tougher shot than they just took that coming season. They know their opponent's prep is going to be on point. They're not going to catch anyone sleeping. Congratulations. You just won a title. Now the real challenge comes. Trying to do it again. Or not. Wiggins doesn't and hasn't looked like a guy interested in that challenge since he got paid and since he got a ring. Now, I dismissed last year because he had to deal with a host of distractions, the biggest being his dad's health. But he doesn't look appreciably different this year, and maybe there are still issues that he's dealing with. But I can't help but come back to what his reputation was prior to the motivation of you're with the Warriors, you have this ideal chance to get paid and to get a ring, and that all of that prompted him to play and work as he never has before. Because he had a reputation as being a lazy player, not a winning player, before he got to Golden State. In any case, he's not the Wiggins that they desperately need him to be to compensate for the other losses I've already mentioned. And I guarantee you that the Warriors have made him aware of that fact. And that if he is not responding to it, for any particular reason, it's not because he doesn't know that it's what the Warriors need. As for Clay, it just looks like the league has come to understand he can't move the way he once could. They can play him much tighter because they're not afraid of his drive. Now, he was never a go-to-the-rim-and-flush-it type, but he could pull up on a dime, elevate, and make a short jumper or a long layup. Now, if he gets a step, he drives looking, hoping to get the next defender to fully commit so he can dish it. Or he could also drive and kind of spin into a fall away and get the elevation, and he could do it quick enough that it would catch a defender by surprise. There's, he doesn't have the same speed, doesn't have the same quickness or explosiveness. And there's no shame in that. Look, I've seen some of the best fall into that category. Jason Kidd was like that at the end. Chris Paul is like that now and has been for at least a year or two. And I'm well aware that Draymond Green being suspended, Stefan being out, and three out of the Warriors' last four opponents being top seven defensive teams are certainly all factors in why Clay is going through arguably the worst long-range shooting stretch since he returned from the torn ACL and torn Achilles. But this is where actually watching the games is vital to understanding the statistics. He's not just struggling to make contested shots or find open shots. He's missing wide open shots. Badly. He airballed his first attempt against the Timberwolves the other night before getting kicked out for getting in a tussle with Jade McDaniels. And one of the observations that one shooting coach and several scouts have made to me about Thompson is that he doesn't have the same balance that he once had on his shots. 
and he used to have all world balance quick explosive compact he was as good as anybody in the league better than Steph honestly but injuries are going to going to are going to affect that if a player isn't diligent about fighting against both age and injury then getting out of whack can happen very easily and clay is having to fight on both of those fronts as an aside i made mention on tv last week that mcdaniels has a reputation for being a bit of a hothead explaining why that whole skirmish happened with Rudy Gobert and Draymond Green and Jaden McDaniels and Clay Thompson and starting the the whole incident starting with Jaden and Clay. And I mentioned that McDaniels has a reputation for being a bit of a hothead along with a t- along with a tenacious defender and that opponents have looked to rile him up in order to either get him teed up or in foul trouble. And I suggested that's what Clay was trying to do right from the start. That's what initiated what happened probably the fact that he airballed that first shot didn't help but I had a few Timberwolves fans say he was the exact opposite of a hothead and that I didn't know him or the Timberwolves and mm, the arrogance of Timberwolves fans never ceases to amaze me in general but in this case uh, it really eh, it irks me a little bit because let me share something. I was told about that tactic and McDaniel's reputation by someone in the Timberwolves organization. It's what they had observed. They're the ones who brought it to my attention. And I'm going to guess that someone in the Timberwolves organization knows that team and knows what it's been facing and knows how opponents approach them maybe just a little bit better than a Timberwolves fan just because Jaden McDaniels is quiet has nothing to do with his ability to lose his cool foul trouble is and has been an issue for him and let's not forget the T-Wolves lost him for the postseason when he punched a wall at halftime of a game against the Pelicans, the third to last game of the season. Now, what I've learned is that he punched a cloth partition, which normally would not have resulted in a broken hand. It's one of those accordion-type cloth partitions, and normally it's extended, and in this case it was folded up and pushed up against a wall, and there was a concrete wall directly behind it, unbeknownst to McDaniels, apparently. And that's how he ended up breaking his hand. But thinking that he, you know, when I heard the report about him broke his hand punching a concrete wall, I immediately thought he was walking into the locker room and couldn't help himself from just punching a concrete wall out of anger. Wasn't quite that demonstrative. So... In that case, we can give him, give him a little bit of an out. It wasn't quite as described. But the fact remains, he's been in the league's top 30 players the last three years in fouls per minute. His average number of fouls committed has gone up each of the last three years. He fouled out six times last year and eight times the year before. And for comparison, 
since I couldn't find a list of leaders in the category of fouling out of games. DeMontis Sabonis with the Sacramento Kings led the league in fouls last season, and he fouled out in nine games, or fouled out of nine games. McDaniels fouled out of six. That's pretty close. And as a big man, Sabonis is going to be forced into far more situations that make him vulnerable to drawing a foul because he has to slide over and provide help protecting the rim more often than a wing. It doesn't matter if you watch every game, if you don't know what you're watching, or more accurately, what to watch for, and what something means when you see it. Okay, apologies to the rest of you for that rant. I had to get that off my chest. And understand this, I share what I know about teams or players so that you know what to watch for and what not to get your hopes up about, like a championship is on the way simply because your team acquired another superstar. You can enjoy it for what it is, just don't make more of it than it is. It depends on who that superstar is. It depends on why that superstar was acquired. And most important, it depends on what else your team has going for it. All of that matters. All right, before I go, I want to mention my sponsor, Christmas right around the corner, Mizzen and Maine. It is fashionable men's clothing made out of performance material. And I just had a viewer who saw me wearing one of my Mizzen and Maine shirts uh, on TV and she reached out to me via, via social media because she wanted to know where she could get one for her dad. And so we got her, we got her hooked up. But that's take, take a look. They have some brand new stuff. I just put in another order <laughs> because they got some new, new gear that uh, looks really good. And I just whether it's their joggers, whether it's their three-quarter zips, obviously their shirts are the only thing that I wear uh, on on air. Um, they've got chinos. They've, they've got it all. And I love the fit. Really easy to take care of. Looks classy as hell. And since Christmas is right around the corner and probably got a lot of stuff you need to buy, use the code BUCHER, my last name, B-U-C-H-E-R, 3-5, and get... $35 off your next order. Mizzen in Maine, M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. Go check out what they have. Use the code. You will thank me later. All right, the next episode, whew, lot going on still and things evolving. And I wonder whether we need to, uh, in, the next, in the next episode, get into teams that need to make a move at this point. I'm also working on a piece for foxsports.com on the young stars best positioned to be great. I'm talking about the Shea Alexander, uh, Gilgis Alexanders, the Tyrese Halliburtons, but it's a little more nuanced than just, or Anthony Edwards, another one, more nuanced than just who are the guys that you'd pick to build a franchise around? But looking at the franchises that they're with, who's in the best position to make good on their abilities? Goes back to what we I was just talking about in terms of how you build a championship team. It's not just a matter of having that, that singular talent. It's a matter of what you're capable of putting around them to maximize what they can do. <clears throat> All right. 
that does it. So one of those subjects is more than likely going to be in the next episode unless something else pops up. Not a full-on guarantee, tentative promise. Let's put it in that category. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.